Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are recording this on Monday, January 18th. It is about 8.20 Central Time in Chicago. And Brendan, I have never recorded one of these podcasts. We've covered a lot of playoff losses. We've covered injuries. We've covered trades. We've covered really the gambit of what you can talk about for a baseball team, for a sports team on this podcast. And I have never once worried that I would break down in tears in the middle of a podcast, (laughs) um, except for today. This is an episode that uh, was coming. We knew it was coming. We had a very strong feeling it was coming. And whether it was going to be this offseason or another, I would end up having to do this podcast, uh, which is basically, I love talking to all of you. I really do. But I would rather be just about anywhere than in my chair in front of this microphone because this is an edition of the Cubs-related podcast that I had long dreaded publishing. And the title that almost assuredly is in your feed right now is Thank You and Farewell, John Lester. John Lester has agreed to a contract with the Washington Nationals, joining a small army of former Chicago Cubs, Kyle Schwarber, Davey Martinez, and others connected with the Washington Nationals Ball Club. And thus ends John Lester's career with the Chicago Cubs. When the team declined the option, we knew how this offseason was likely going to play out. It seemed a very slim chance that a 37-year-old John Lester would factor into whatever the Cubs are doing. And we'll talk about that angle of it. Uh, But the majority of this podcast obviously is going to be Looking back at John's six years with the Chicago Cubs, uh, one of the greatest free agent signings in Chicago sports history and certainly in Chicago Cubs history. So that is where we are. Unfortunately, this podcast has mostly just been us coming on and letting you guys know who we're saying goodbye to today. Uh, So John joining the list with the likes of Theo Epstein, Kyle Schwarber, Len Casper, um, and unfortunately, I wish I could tell you guys that I thought this was the last one of these that we were going to do before Pitchers and Catchers Report in, I think, a little over a month now, Uh, but Brendan, I would be lying if I said that. So here we are. This is an episode that 
uh, I think you certainly aren't happy to be a part of, but uh, part of that might be that you have to deal with me for it. I, I've never been nervous recording a podcast uh, until right now. I, I, I have no idea what uh, is going to come out here. I don't, I, I don't even know if anything we say will do justice to what John Lester has meant, you know, for the for this franchise. So it's gonna be uh it's gonna be an interesting episode that that we got here. But just to start things off on my end, that there are a few players that leave such a tangible mark during their time on the on the Cubs for any team. And John's of course on the field value was monumental, but his personality, the persona he always carried, the consistency, the authenticity that we saw was a major part of this Cubs culture. And for as much credit that Joe Madden got when he was hired by Theo Epstein, for as much credit that Theo got when he was hired back, you know, a decade ago, Lester is among those who changed the culture for the Chicago Cubs. No longer was I dreading the Ted Lilly throwing your glove after keeping up a home run type feel. It, it was a, a completely different feel from the moment the Cubs signed John Lester. Like that was the tipping point type move. Like, okay, Cubs are back. This is a different era. And his ability to go into the playoffs with that mindset that, hey, no one's going to beat us. I don't care about whatever the media narrative is. I don't care about the pressure. I don't care about any of that. I just want to go out there, pitch my games, if I need to, come out of the bullpen in game sevens of elimination games and do my thing. And for my lifetime as a Cubs fan, I, I never really felt that from any player on a consistent basis. Uh, and he was the one who actually changed, for, for me, my outlook and how the Cubs go into a playoff series. And for that reason alone, that that is how I'm going to remember John Lester forever. He's just that guy with that attitude that no matter the circumstances, no matter the external circumstances, he was bringing it. And you knew it every single time, Corey. Yeah. Um, where to start, Brendan? I, I think that was a good place to start. So maybe we'll just uh, take it through his legacy. And, and you know, uh, uh, well, before we jump into that further, I, we might as well just get like the, the current implications out of the way. And then we can just reminisce kind of going off of where you started there. But I think I said this on one of the podcasts, I'm sure, when, you know, maybe after the Cubs traded Darvish or, you know, when it became clear exactly the the, the path or general path that the Cubs would be taking in this offseason, um, that I wanted the best for John right? John has gone through a lot in his life. Uh, He's a cancer survivor. He has gone through a lot as a baseball player. Um, You know, everything that he did in Boston, then coming over to the Cubs. I think even people who are, you know, not necessarily on board with him being a Hall of Famer when he calls it quits, I think even those people would call him a borderline Hall of Famer, someone that's in the discussion. Obviously, you know, if I were voting, he would be in the Hall of Fame. But he he deserves to finish his career however he damn well pleases. And we're, we are going to hear plenty about what the Nationals are paying him. I think it's going to be around $4 million. We're going to hear about what the Cubs offered, what they didn't offer, et cetera, et cetera. But what I, I think is is the most important thing here is that, to me, 
I want nothing more than to have watched John finish his career as a Chicago Cub, to be at Wrigley Field, giving him a standing ovation as he rides off into the sunset. But if he wants to keep playing, and this is his last year, or you know, 2022 is his last year, however this goes, he deserves to do that on his terms, and in my opinion, he deserves to do that for a team that is trying to win, that is going out and making moves every day to try and win the 2021 World Series. And that's just not what the Cubs are doing. And we've litigated and will continue to litigate that whole mess and that process. Um, And that's not to say that I know, you know, John didn't want to come back to the Cubs, even if they weren't competing, you know, for for all we know, he probably did. He might have wanted that. But I think that he is a competitor. He's one of the best competitors and and those types of players, as you were saying, Brendan, and I think that for as much as I wanted it, it, it just isn't how his career should have ended. If that's what he wanted to do, then, you know, I, I wish the Cubs would have figured out whatever they had to do to do it. But I I think as a fan of John the person, not, not just John the Cub, right? Like, I think he deserves better than whatever the hell the Cubs are going to be doing in 2021. He just he just deserves to finish uh, such an illustrious career, not on a team that is actively cutting payroll and shedding salaries and trading away some of their best players. It's just not what he deserves. If that's what he wanted, that's a separate thing. You'll have to ask him. But that's that's how I feel about that. I, I'm at the very least, I take solace in the fact that he is going to a team that is trying to compete, that has loads of you know young talent that that won a World Series recently, and that if this is his last year, he knows he's doing it, competing for a World Series championship. Whether or not you know Washington's a favorite or not for that doesn't really matter. They're they're trying, right? Um, and as far as the Cubs, like, look, uh, we can rail on them for being cheap. If that was the motivator here, I don't know, right? We may not know, who knows? Um, but I think it's, you know, it's, it's certainly fair to say, right, that signing John in his year 37 season when they're not trying to be competitive, you know, maybe just isn't the right call. And, you know, in a season like 2021 where they're not going to be going for it, could they have just deferred to say, you know, fine, it's not the right call. Let's just sign John and he can go out into the sunset and because we're not, who cares, right? Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm obviously I'm on board with that. But if their logic was, you know, we want to give those last few spots to someone like Alzali, Tyson Miller and Corey Abbott, because they're young, and we're not going to be competing. I mean, you know, that's fine. It makes sense, I guess, right? Like from a baseball perspective, like I don't think it's an egregious mistake. Um, You know, but all that being said, like, look, obviously, my stance was that I wanted John to pitch for the Cubs until he was no longer pitching. Um, And whatever that took, whatever amount of money, whatever contract, whatever it meant for 2021, I didn't care. You know, again, like with everything else that the Cubs are doing, they made the move, not me, and we have to try to break it down. So that's kind of my sentiment on, you know, the current implication, you know, not looking back. I, I wish, like nothing else, that he never pitched for another team besides the Chicago Cubs. Um, but 
this is what they did, and at the very least, I'm glad that he's going to spend what may be his last year or one of his last years continuing to compete for championships because that's what he deserves to be doing. And you and I were talking about this, you know, before we started recording this, but when John was saying that these last six years went by faster than he than he thought, uh, to, to me, that was a signal like, hey, this this is it for John. And as the Cubs offseason went along and you see the moves they're making or lack thereof, his plans and the Cubs plans just didn't complement each other. And we, we had a conversation even with Greg Huss last week where Greg was saying one of his biggest pet peeves was the Cubs not giving their young arms a chance. And I, I think it is fair, given the current Cubs state of affairs, whether or not bringing back John was worth it for the future in the next year or two with some of these guys needing innings, such as Tyson Milder or uh, Corey Abbott or, or some of these 25, 24-year-olds who do need time. Uh, as, as painful as that sounds to not want John Lester back, this is the situation the Cubs find themselves in. They did not put together a competitive team and develop their players at a competent pace to keep someone like a John Lester. And this is what happens. You get a team like the Nationals who are ready to win, who have been consistently competing now for over half a decade, and they're 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 able to sign someone like John Lester. This is just how it works. And for John, hell yeah, man, you you take that opportunity. You hundred percent do it. If you have a chance to win a World Series and your current team does not have the intentions to do that this year, absolutely get out of here. Go. <laughs> like this is who you are as a player. This is why we gravitated towards John Lester. He was all about winning. And even when he's almost blacked out drunk and he's asked, what's so important about this clubhouse in 2017? He pauses, he waits, and he says, winning and smiles. This is who John Lester is. If Lester came back and had an opportunity to play for a competitor, I would have questioned it. This You want Lester to go and do this. It sucks that as a Cubs fan for you, Corey, who's you know Lester's biggest fan, and for all of us who genuinely like love watching John pitch, that it doesn't make sense for this current team. That sucks. But th- this is the reality. It's, it's a, it's a compounding issue that we see from move to move. I think once Darvish was dealt, we saw the package they got for Darvish, and that signaled, hey, maybe even these prospects won't be ready for three more years. That that was like the nail in the coffin for me. Like I knew there was a slim hope at at best that we bring him back, but once that deal was made, that that was it. So this I I've had time to like prepare for this, like mentally prep for this. So I'm I'm already like past the phase of like, oh my God, John Lester is gone. As weird as that sounds, I'm I'm already past it. This was almost an inevitability in in my brain. So I mean, that's what it is. Um, you know, it's it's something where uh, until we hear from John about what he was looking for, what the Cubs offered, and things like that, you know, we just don't know. Um, sure, assuredly, like I would be disappointed if you know John would have signed for the Cubs for a million dollars and you know they couldn't even pony it up or whatever but um that's where we are you know what I mean like I'm not happy about anything about this direction like you know John would just be 
another part of that. So, you know, of course that would be disappointing. Um, but again, like I still think, you know, even if that's what John wanted, I, I think he deserves better. Um, even if that's, that's what he would have preferred. So I think if this is what the Cubs are doing, you know, ultimately like this is probably just for the best because John just doesn't deserve to finish his career on a, a team selling off assets and, you know, trying to tread water in the worst division in the league, right? Like it just, he just deserves to pitch in the playoffs. Like, you know, he can go with Strasburg and Scherzer and whatever and, you know, see if they can get something done in Washington. But it it is what it is. I, I you know, I don't know. I, <laughs> yeah, I don't have more to say. I mean, like, here's the thing though, Corey, like if he's going to go anywhere else, you don't want him in the division. That would suck to see right. like, so consistently. You don't want him in the AL because you want him to come back to Wrigley Field. Right. So him going to Washington, going with Schwarber, going with Dave Martinez, Washington is as neutral as neutral can get. This is almost the best case scenario if he were not playing for the Cubs, right. which he's not, not in, now. Not an evil yeah. team. So that, yeah, can, I mean, can you imagine, man? If you went to for. yeah, if you went to like the Cardinals or Milwaukee, man, like right. So. It's it's a weird thing to say. Like, hey, it could be worse, but like, <laughs> actually, it could be worse in this case. Yeah. So it just yeah, it just sort of uh, is what it is, you know. And and I mean, there there's a lot of players um, that this happens to, you know, that I think people um, expect to finish their career in in one place and they don't. Uh, and you know, I mean, I think the fans in Boston thought this the first time John Lester signed somewhere else. So this isn't even really unique uh, for John. It just, you know, it's sometimes how it works sometimes. Um, so that's really where that is. I mean, um, some, I mean, more, more times than not, uh, I mean, think about the Boston stuff, right? Like Mookie Betts is gone. Right. No Mark Garcia Parra was gone with Theo was there. You know, Albert Pujols is gone. Uh, the Royals broke everyone else up during their World Series run. Like, like th- this is the unfortunate state of baseball. Well, I mean, and even so, the even as as much as we hate them and him, I mean, the Cardinals are doing this with Yadi Molina right now, right? You know? Right. So, I mean, like, it happens. This is not yeah. rare. This is a this is a common thing, and I even hate bringing this up. But my mind does wander to like, all right, what does what does this mean for Rizzo in the next two years? I don't even want to go down that route, but like, Brendan, I don't have the heart for this right now. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm going to yeah, cut you off. Let's there. move on. Um, yeah, look, like again, we don't have all the details on how this shook out. We we don't have um, all the information on what he wanted, what the Cubs offered, what all these discussions were, um, and so you know the loose reports and sort. You know, I'm just not interested in it. Like it's for the best that John is playing for a team that is actively trying to win. That's that's where I'm going to leave this. And I, I think you know, especially at the end of this window, I guess, or whatever, you know, you're calling what transitional period we're in right now. It's, there's been so many significant moves at this point, right? Like they've signed a bunch of free agents. They've made a bunch of huge trades. So much has gone on with this team from a baseball operations perspective, you know, especially compared to, you know, the team is always making moves, of course, but in terms of like significance, we we got a ton of action in, you know, a six-year period or whatever it was. And I I, I don't think that people forget um, that, 
John's signing was so significant and the real impact of it. But I, I think it's easy for it to not be as highlighted as much as the years go on. And so many moves, you know, you're signing guys like Ben Zobrist and Jason Hayward, you're trading for Wade Davis, you're trading for Aroldis Chapman, Gliber Torres, Elo Jimenez, like all these names involved. And, you know, most recently, you Darvish, like it, it, it sh- can't be overstated just how significant this signing was. Um, and I, I think you and I always talk about it. I mean, I remember where I was when Ken Rosenthal tweeted that he was choosing the Cubs and it was going to happen. Um, and it it gets said a lot when talking about this, but it's really true. I mean, it was one of those moves that you you, you could feel like almost as if like the stoplight went from yellow to green the second that information came across the newswire. Like that was the signal as if Theo Epstein had put up a bat signal over the sky of Chicago that said like Cubs fans, it's on, like it's happening, it's go time, right? We are putting the our foot on the pedal all this time we've been, you know, losing, we've been trading guys, we've been talking about these prospects, we've been watching Iowa Cubs highlights and Tennessee Smokey highlights and whatever we were doing, it's happening, like it's go time. And it, it really represented that. Um, and I I think that that was clear in the signing. You know, you were getting a guy that had won multiple championships, that had such a, a, a winning pedigree and was bringing that veteran you know, bulldog, like winning mentality to the organization. Um, and it was just clear from that signing, like I, they, they could have signed a lot of players. There are a lot of free agents every year. And even since that just don't represent the same thing that John Lester does. And especially where he was at that point in his career, it it felt like this is a guy with a winning world series pedigree, one of the best postseason pitchers of his generation. If he's choosing to play somewhere, he's coming and expecting to win. And so the minute that those reports came, you just knew like the Cubs are not screwing around. This is not a guy you bring in. This is not a guy who chooses to play somewhere unless he believes in what he was sold and unless he believes he is coming to win a World Series championship and to compete for division championships and pennants and the World Series on a yearly basis. And that became clearer in his introductory press conference where he reiterated a lot of these sentiments. Uh, One of my favorite quotes from him, call it cocky, call it arrogant, call it whatever you want. I'm a winner, and that's what I came here to do. (laughs) And that's exactly what he did. And from the minute he sat there and put on the Cubs jersey and and the Cubs hat, he made it clear to everybody, like, I'm not a veteran here for a big paycheck to screw around and, you know, whatever happens, happens. I got my championships. He made it clear, like, I came here because I believe in what Theo's doing. I believe in the long-term plan for the Chicago Cubs, and I want to bring another championship to another place that hasn't had one in a while. And so, you know, going into that 2015 season, uh, the, you know, expectations certainly ratcheted up, um, but it, 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 it wasn't one of those years where it was like World Series or bust necessarily. Uh, but when Lester came, it just, it just signaled 
the 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 window is now open. The team is going to try to win. We might, and as we did, see some of these young names get called up. We might see some other guys brought in, like Dexter Fowler, to round things out. And we're going to go for this. You know, you would come off a year where you had seen what Arietta was kind of going to be able to do in 2014. The team had played better. You've had Rizzo, you know, for a little while showing you the player he was going to develop into. And John Lester comes on board and it's it's go time. And, you know, of course, that 2015 team wins 97 games, uh, wins a wild card game, plays for the pennant. And it all starts there, but it, it's it's hard to describe uh, how one signing really felt like it carried that weight, and and I felt it at the time, and I certainly feel it looking back and and looking at these tweets and and the the press releases of him signing in Chicago. It, it just carried so much weight when he signed. And as we'll highlight throughout this conversation, and we've pointed out a lot, there was so much hand-wringing over the contract, the six years, the the money, his age, and what the back end of the contract would, would look like. And I've stated this many times over the years, um, but now that, you know, the, the contract is over and the, and the time is over, um, it was easy to tell at the time, uh, and it was easy to tell through the years. But just to just to be clear, John Lester was not only worth every goddamn penny of that contract, he was worth so much more than every penny of that contract. There was not a cent wasted. He was not overpaid. It was not a bad contract. None of that ever turned out to be true. John Lester was worth every single cent and then some on that contract that he signed with the Chicago Cubs, and he delivered exactly what he promised. He delivered a team that for every single year he was on this team competed for a playoff spot. They only didn't make it one time. He delivered that every year he played for this team, they had a shot at winning the division. He delivered that every year this team was going to be playing for a playoff spot and have a shot, a ticket, to try and make the World Series. And he delivered ultimately on his biggest promise of all, which was to bring a World Series title to the Chicago Cubs, and he did that. And he was an integral member of all of those teams. He was an integral member of the 2016 postseason and the World Series he was a huge part of every single step of the way, and the signing carried that weight the minute it got announced, and he delivered uh, somehow. Uh, it's something that happens very rarely uh, that you know someone who signs at the age that he did to such a lengthy and expensive contract to completely and over-deliver on said contract, but that's just... John Lester for you folks. And after the first few rough starts in 2015, as you're saying, Corey, like all the talk is out there, hey, this is a waste of a deal. Uh, Lester, over his sum of his contract, and even including the COVID year last year, he accumulated over 17 war. And if you just multiply 17 times 9 or 10, which is the cost of one win on the free Asian market today, that's like almost $170 million. So quite literally, Corey, John Lester outperformed 
his contract <laughs> even after that even after that rough start and his value in that 155 million does not include what he did in the postseason. The postseason numbers with the Cubs are wild. In 2016, actually in 2015, he had 14 innings, K per nine of nine, walk per nine under 1.5, and he only gave up uh, four runs. And then in 2016 to 2018, completely lights out even better. 2016 started five games, over 35 innings in the postseason. A 2.2, 2.02 ERA. He came in in Game 7 of the World Series, locked it down. 2017, two starts, also an elimination game appearance, 1.8 ERA. 2018, he starts that wild card game against the Colorado Rockies. Not even with his best stuff. Goes out there, six innings, only one run. Forces a, a, a deep game that goes into extra innings. This was who John Lester was, even at his not the best. When he didn't have his best stuff, he somehow found a way to win. And if you even look at how he adapted over the years, and for for me, this is one of my favorite uh, trends or favorite aspects of John Lester. He's honest with himself. He's always been honest with himself. When he sucks, when he's good. And for John... I appreciated even in his old school mindset, which I which I like. I like those old school type players. He still showed the capacity to adjust. When he came over with the Cubs, he was throwing a four seam fastball once every other pitch. By his last year, last year with the Cubs, throwing a four seam once every four pitches. Started throwing more sinkers. Uh, he tripled his changeup usage. Uh, he started throwing more cutters again. He started throwing. Uh, more curveballs in certain scenarios. He changed who he was and he adapted accordingly to who he was. And so Lester, the authenticity, the honesty, the ability to adapt and to do so in like a camouflage type way. I don't think anyone even realized the extent to which he adapted from his 2016 days when he won a World Series. He was almost a completely different pitcher by the time he left the mound last year. And everything together, from the playoffs, from the regular season appearances, to his leadership role that we saw last year with the Cubs under manager David Ross. Like, he was every every penny was worth John Lester, man. And I think once it's all said and done, if he wants to come back, I'm sure there'll be a job position in some way within the Cubs. And that 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 to me was is what gives me solace is like, even though these guys are gone. You win a World Series with this team, like that's like you're never gonna completely disintegrate from Cubs fans' memories. Like we even even to this day, you see like Brittany Wood engaging with Cubs fans on social media. Like, so th- this is it's a short goodbye, but, but Lester is forever a Cub man. You will forever be a Cub. You will not hear the last from John Lester in the Chicago media, and this will not be the last time you and I talk about John Lester on this podcast, Corey. I love Tommy Hottity, but I think after what we've endured in this offseason, do we not deserve David Ross as manager with John Lester as his pitching coach and watching the <laughs> two of them in the dugout? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, at, at, at the very worst, pitching coordinator during spring sure. training, just get them two back on the field yeah. in uniform at some point. So John finishes his Chicago Cubs career with a 77 and 44 record. He threw four complete games. 
a 3.64 ERA in 171 starts. His 636 win percentage leads all left-handers in franchise history with a minimum of 100 decisions, and his 77 victories are fifth most amongst left-handed pitchers for the Cubs all-time in 12 postseason starts, of course, including the 2016 World Series, which the Chicago Cubs win. John Lester posted a 2.44 ERA in 70 innings with a 2.01 opponent batting average against. If those numbers, Brendan, especially for the regular season numbers, when you factor in that, of course, that was, you know, in his age 35 and 36 seasons, if those numbers don't represent exactly what you signed that man for, and again, remembering that he was the NLCS MVP along with Javi Baez the year you won the World Series, and he helped you win a World Series, pitch started two games in that series, also pitching game seven, of course. If all of that, when you look back at Theo introducing him, when you look back at what the Cubs needed prior to that offseason, if, if that doesn't represent the epitome of what you wanted to bring him over for, I don't know what does. I literally don't know how he could have delivered on what he promised, on what Theo envisioned for him, on what we all envisioned for him. I I genuinely don't know how he could have done a better job during his time in Chicago. And I think it's, again, one of those things that, you know, maybe we'll learn a bit more about uh, as the years go on. But you you can tell from certain things, and you can certainly read between the lines for others, that not only was John's performance on the field so critical to this entire thing, but his leadership and his attitude uh, it must be, that fingerprint must be all over this franchise. It's blatantly obvious in the fact that his personal catcher is now a cult hero and the manager of the Chicago Cubs. He wouldn't have been a Cub without John Lester, right? His relationship with Anthony Rizzo, dating back to when he was on the Red Sox and they were just two cancer survivors sharing memories and, uh, you know, Anthony's inspiration um, from John through his own fight. But you just know a, a team like the 2015 Cubs and even the 2016 Cubs, and, and, and John wasn't alone in this. Guys like Ben Zobris, Dexter Fowler, Jason Hayward, John Lackey, all were brought in, David Ross, of course, for these qualities. But John was John was the guy. John was the leader. John is the epitome of all of this. The winning attitude and to be a part of a team that had so many rookies go all the way to competing for a pennant ultimately to lose to the New York Mets but all of this was necessary experience and having someone like John leading the ship and guiding them and 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 building that competitive attitude and helping them learn from 2015 to 2016 how to take that season and the success that they had, but also the ultimate failure 
that they had and bring that into 2016 and bring that fire and bring that attitude. And this is something that I think Mike Napoli has talked about uh, maybe on the compound or one of those podcasts where, you know, he sort of explained the leadership when back when they were with the Red Sox and, you know, what that would have been like in in 2016. He was in the other dugout um, for that series. But it sort of just gave you an insight of how important someone like John was to not only guide those guys into being becoming Major League Baseball players, becoming stars, but to do so in such an environment. I mean, we all felt the weight of a 108-year drought, right? I guess it wasn't 108 when John started, but you get the idea. We all felt the weight of that. Imagine how a 22-year-old coming up from AAA felt about that, or a 23-year-old, someone like Chris Bryant, who's a rookie, who has the expectations of the world on his shoulders. Guys like John are critical in that process. And we know from so many accounts that he was that person. He was that leader. He was that driving force. He was that competitive light that helped guide so many of these players. And you also see it in his performance. He came over to the Cubs with a legacy of being someone that showed up in postseason games. And that's all he did for the Chicago Cubs, even the 2018 wildcard game that the Cubs lose. John gives them everything he's got to win that game. And so just looking back on all of it and, and reading those numbers and understanding his impact, um, I, I think you guys know I've been preaching this. I think a lot of you just in, interacting with you guys on social media and stuff, you guys know this. Uh, but Maybe it's not something everybody even fully appreciates now, but when we look back on this era of Chicago Cubs baseball, when we look back on everything that happened from 2015 to now, even going forward a bit with some of the lasting you know, imprints that he's made on this franchise, John Lester is one of the most important Chicago Cubs in the organization's history, and I will not hear an argument otherwise, uh, but what is is so amazing to me again is that this is what he was signed to do this is what he promised and he delivered he delivered on every single aspect of it and that's not even getting into the fact that he's one of the most philanthropic and charitable players in major league baseball raising money uh for never quit his his charity all the events that he's done, all of the food drives that he's done, even recently throughout this pandemic, donating food and money, don't you know, buying people beer in Chicago and using that money to uh, help the service industry in Chicago. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. I, I obviously, you guys know this. I could talk about this man for hours. Uh, so trying to condense it, I guess, at least a little bit. Um, but it's just ultimately so incredible to look back at something that felt so huge when it happened and had the biggest expectations. And it was just a checklist for John Lester, just going through the boxes and checking them off. And he checked off. There is not a box on his list that he leaves Chicago having unchecked. He did everything he told us he was going to do. He did everything that we he thought we deserved as Cubs fans. And I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how often deals like that happen. I'm not sure when we'll see one again. Uh, but I have 
certainly tried to help everybody appreciate it as it was happening. Um, and you know, if it's, if it's catching you by surprise a little bit, at least you can look back in hindsight and, and truly sit down and, and take a look at what John Lester did relative to all of that. And it's, it's really quite incredible, Brennan. One of the worst things about the playoffs for me is like those pregame jitters, like, Hey, is this pitcher going to pitch well today? How is his arm after 220 innings? All, all of this stuff, right? Everything that goes into a playoff series in just one game, one bad start can mess it all up. And so that's always in my mind going into a playoff series. Lester, though, every start, consistent. As a fan, what more do you want from anyone, from any pitcher in the playoffs, but to go in every single outing and perform at your peak, at your best? We may never see another pitcher in a Cubs uniform in the playoffs do that ever over that time period ever from 2015 to 2018 ever do that again and so like I think I just think of that 2007 that 2008 playoff run and I know the pitching was the main problem but like you get those images of I said this earlier with Ted Lilly throwing his glove and you know Demp on the mound and I mean looking at like even Rich Hill in 2007 it's like oh my god like you know those guys are a part of Cubs history, but it's such a contrast to knowing that when Lester was coming out of the bullpen in 2017 in Game 5 against the Nationals, like you're thinking, all right, here we, here we go again. Here comes John yet again to put the Cubs in a position to advance or to win a series. And that's just, I'll, I'll be shocked if we ever see another pitcher like John Lester in the playoffs in a Cubs uniform ever, ever again. And I don't mean that in like a sad way because it's not fair to even the best pitchers of all time to live up to those standards. I mean, look at Clayton Kershaw living in LA. People, every, like, it is music to my ears to be able to listen to this. But all of my Dodgers friends, it's every start before he goes on to Mount Clayton Kershaw. It's like, oh, he's going to choke again. He's going to choke again. He's going to choke again. And for Lester, it is the complete opposite. If the man gives up three runs and one outing in the playoffs, it's like, what the hell happened? And so that is who John Lester was to me, is the stability in the playoffs. It's knowing that when he's on that mound, you're probably going to get the absolute best. And if we ever see that again in a Cubs uniform, I will be completely blown away. And that's even saying if we get a Cy Young back in the Cubs, even then I wouldn't expect him to live up to the expectations that John Lester delivered. So, Brendan, to your point, uh, Clayton Kershaw would have to throw 126 and two-thirds scoreless playoff innings to match John Lester's career 2.51 ERA <laughs> I mean, there you go. in the playoffs. There you go. There you go. Some so, of you I mean, might be listening to me and think I'm being hyperbolic about some of this no. stuff, but John is on another level in a lot of these respects. Um, he's a living legend in the game of baseball, um, and you know that includes his time in Boston as well uh, as Chicago. So, with the remaining time here, Brendan, I mean, let's just uh, let's just talk some some memories, some favorite moments. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of these are going to be pretty obvious, I suppose, um, but. I, I think, you know, there there's plenty that stand out. Um, I, I think 
perhaps the the funniest maybe was watching his development as a hitter um you know obviously setting a record with how long it took him to get a hit then he ultimately gets a hit off his friend John Lackey which I think was just amazing um you know but then hitting home runs uh always oppo which I thought was amazing just something home about runs that. plural Corey this uh emphasis there plural home runs yes yes multiple home yeah. runs multiple home runs yeah. um and you know of course his his bunting uh there was the <laughs> you know uh squeeze bunt in Milwaukee that brings home a run in one of those games a couple years ago and then of course uh one of the most fun evenings I've ever had at Wrigley Field the Brian Mattis game which is uh ultimately ended by an insane comeback by the Chicago Cubs and finished by John Lester squeeze bunting Jason Hayward home uh and then of course you know Hector Rondon gets him with the cup full of rosin all in the face and that big cloud over Wrigley Field as they mobbed him. It, it's weird to to start the memories portion on his offense, but that, you know, it just became sort of a fun thing to latch onto and and watch him progress. And ultimately, the, the moments in which he succeeded uh, were just uh, unbelievably fun, uh, you know, amongst everything else. My favorite moment... For John Lester is probably game game five of the 2016 NLCS at Dodger Stadium. I mean, I'm there, so that that's why. But leading up to that game, you've Jock Peterson talking smack, like I'm gonna bunt the ball down the third baseline because John Lester cannot throw the ball. Uh, so what happens? A little dribbler down the third baseline. Lester gets it and does like that, you know, one hop LeBron James throw to first base and gets him out. And he's going nuts off the mound, and he's staring back at the Dodger dugout. And the Cubs ultimately won that game, and John Lester uh, destroyed the Dodgers, and we won that series. So that that was my favorite moment because the narrative at the time was, and it still persisted to his very last start, was that John Lester cannot pick anyone off, and that teams are going to run all over him. And that never was a true threat. It wasn't a threat in the fact that teams didn't try to do it, but it was not successful most times for those teams trying to steal in John Lester. And then you have, of course, I think it was the next year, maybe the following year, with uh, Tommy Pham on first base, and, yep. and he picks off Tommy Pham. Well, <laughs> but right now you're, on... you're burying the lead a little bit there. Yeah, on yeah. the Cardinals broadcast, oh, I was Tim getting McCarver there. I was getting there. is yeah. talking about how there is no chance John Lester is going <laughs> to throw to first base. Tommy Pham should take the biggest lead he can because there is no way he's throwing to first base and then like right yeah. on cue. I mean, it's that play in that video, um, which I, if I remember correctly, I think Brett from Bleacher Nation had clipped that. Um, I just remember yeah. that every time I see it. But like, it's almost as if that was fake, like with how just like sure. <laughs> and like Tim McCarver of all people too, right? Like so sure that this is not going to happen, like mocking it, basically, just like, oh my God, like this is such a joke. He's not going to pick him up. And right away, he picks him off and it's just the best thing ever. Yeah. I mean, that that that's up there. And just to add, you know, a Pat Hughes type image to what you're saying with those bunts, like you better believe if John Lester is bunting up there off the bench, the socks are high. He's coming out there with the high socks. So like he's a, he's a gamer one way or the other. Uh, I mean, those are smaller instances that stand out to me, not like the big ones, like 
the 2017 post-Nationals series win when he's blacking out drunk and cursing at the camera, flipping off his teammates. I mean, like the stuff with Schwarber and the defensive miscues in left field and how Lester got on Schwarber was always funny. I mean, like there's just, there's just so many, Corey. And it's, I mean, even this is, this is from you actually. So I'm going to give you credit for this because you just uh, reminded me of it, but he's tweeting about like dogs on the buses during the world series. Parade. Well, that whole thread is incredible. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if you ever like want a pick me up, like you just go read that thread on, on Twitter when he's just parading through uh, Chicago with David Ross, almost like decapitating himself. Right. Remember that? Yeah. Remember yeah, that? I think he it was, was like, him, thing? Travis Wood, Lackey and David Ross. Were I on, mean, on what a bus, bus. Which, can I, you imagine that? Yeah. I mean, you can, I mean, that's the bus to be on. I love a lot that of the is other the guys, bus but that was on. the bus to be yeah. on. So, I mean, like, uh, I don't know. I think like, there was always an attempt to kind of reduce things down to like a few different instances and memories or whatever, but there, there's so many. This is just who Lester was. Everything was authentic. It was never forced. And so there's time and example and example and example again that I can think of if I sit down for like 20, 30 minutes and there's going to be dozens that come to, to, that come to memory and those are never going to go away, dude. Like that's my point is you can have... Very good pitchers that play for the Cubs, the Greg Maddoxes and the Carlos Zambranos and the Kerry Woods, but I, but nothing that they did, and it's not their fault, is going to come close to what we experience in the playoffs and in the World Series and the post-World Series celebrations with John Lester. Like those memories with him go far and beyond what Kerry Wood like ever did. And this is not to put Kerry Wood down on like a lower pedestal, but it's just the nature of the situation. And for those reasons. We know Kerry Wood is always a distinct memory in our minds, but to a greater extent is going to be John Lester. Yeah, well, and for a period of time, too, he was um, he was tweeting a lot after games and would always take accountability um, oh, yeah. and really never yeah. take credit for anything, um, you know, and so that was something I always look forward to. Um, as far as, you know, big performances I mean you, you mentioned the the specific play but just that series I mean he won you know co-MVP for it but that series against the Dodgers in 2016 was really something incredible um and and the way that he was moving through that lineup I mean I remember specific at bats you know him striking out Corey Seager um just on incredibly executed pitches exiting the mound with his you know sort of trademark fist bump and stuff like that I think about the 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 late season game against the Giants uh, that, you know, he delivered. Um, and, you know, I mean, plenty more. I mean, it's it's almost hard to remember all of them. Um, you know, and then, of course, like his performance in Game 7 of the World Series. I mean, he comes in, even though Joe said he wasn't going to come into a dirty inning, it, it starts badly with, the, you know, the ball getting away. And, uh, you know, he keeps on plugging and, and moves that game along and, and, you know, does exactly what you would have— um, you know, what you would have asked for in, in that moment. Um, and there, yeah, I mean, there's, there's just a lot of, uh, a lot of games that I think you could look back on and, you know, just reminisce, um, of how big his performance was and how important his, his performance was. Um, and it's, yeah, hard to overstate just like what his, his value was. And I, I mean, I said this all the time, but, uh, you know, going to the ballpark and, and sitting in my seats and watching him 
paint on the corners and, and do his thing was genuinely, uh, genuinely one of my favorite things to do in the world. And I will miss that uh, very much. Um, you know, his presence on the team, what he means to the team, but just watching John Lester work, it, it's, it's, you know, we've had a lot of great pitchers uh, through this run. You know, uh, I think we've all been fortunate enough, or most of us have been fortunate enough to, you know, see Jake Arrieta do his thing in person and to see Kyle Hendricks do his thing in person. You mentioned guys like Carlos Zambrano and stuff. Um, but nothing ever brought me as much joy and happiness and, and almost a kind of the simplicity of it, you know? Just John Lester's on the mound at Wrigley Field. There's there's just something quintessential baseball uh, about all of that. You know what I mean? It it just feels so big and and just it it just defines baseball. Um, uh, you know, an afternoon game at Wrigley Field with John Lester on the mound. It just it just has that feel. And you know, of course. You think of his his playoff performances, um, game one in 2016 against the Giants, against Johnny Cueto, just a, I mean, legendary, you know, almost franchise-defining performance in, in that game to start a, a run where, you know, unlike the year before in 2015, the 2016 Cubs, it's, this is it. You guys better win the World Series, right? Like we've, we've made a huge trade for a closer. This team has all the pieces. We signed more. Like this is it. This has to be the the year that, that it happens. And for him to go out in that first game against a, a scrappy Giants team that was probably just happy to be there, um, you know, he delivers eight innings of shutout baseball with no walks and five strikeouts. Um, and, you know, that was all to match Johnny Cueto, who was doing equally as good of a job until Javi Baez takes him into the basket. Um, you know, and it's it's just one of those things where you look at how close that series was, five-game series. John coming out and starting things that way was so, so, so important. Um, and I, I think it's no surprise that to start the run to the World Series, he delivers the the absolute epitome of a John Lester playoff start and and a playoff start for a guy that you paid and brought over to do just that it, it was it was a storybook it, it it really was it was this is what we brought you here for go out and do it and John was like give me the damn ball you got it like this is what I'm here for and he and he delivered um you know then of course like uh you know Game five of the the 2016 World Series, of course, uh, to keep things alive in another close game. You know, both both of those games in in close series, they 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 both. I mean, obviously, Game five, if they had lost, the series was over. So it's uh, I think one of the most important games, without question, in Cubs history. And he had to be near perfect, right? You know, it wasn't a game he could have given up five runs and gotten away with it. Um, he had to be really, really, really good that night, and he was. And it kept the series going, and you know, of course, the rest is history there. So there's 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 plenty of games, there's plenty of moments, but I mean, those are those are some of them for me, um, you know. And and a lot of what I, a lot of the reason that John developed into my favorite player was was as you said, Brendan. I mean, just on and off the field, the attitude, the fun that he had, the you know way he could interact with reporters and fans alike. Um, you know, he, he was always accountable. He was always funny. He was always lighthearted. He was always kind and respectful. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, those are, those are the ones that stand out to me. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I could run through plenty more, but, uh, you know, those games in particular, I mean, I, I I think we can't talk about enough. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, well, guys, just for reference, I mean, this was announced like an hour ago, like Lester leaving. So, you know, this is as this is as raw as uh, as a media as you're going to get. So if there's any other memories that uh, stand out for you, you know, tweet at us. Love to hear it. Love talking about Sean Lester. He's a Cubs legend forever. Uh, you know, some people like Ian Happ are saying retired number 34. Why not? So we'd love to see John Lester retired up there. Uh, that's that's all I got, Corey. I'm going to give you the last word here of, uh, you know, a send-off for John Lester. So, you know, again, like we'll we'll probably circle back to this um, at some point. I mean, prior to this news, we had nothing to talk about. It was going to be another like, so Brendan, what are the Cubs doing? <laughs> I don't know, Corey. Well, they could sign this guy. They're definitely not going to sign. Um, so, you know, that's all just to say uh, we'll have time to revisit these things um, as as time goes on. We'll have time to look back at, at more John Lester memories. And I, I don't know if this podcast did him justice. I'm not sure that an hour can. Um, you know, I mean, he spent six seasons here, so it's, it's hard to condense that down to an hour. But I, I feel better about perhaps maybe this not doing him complete justice in the fact that I've been uh, pretty consistent in singing his praises for every minute of this entire contract and process. So, but we'll, we'll circle back to it. So I debated how to end this podcast many, many times. Um, when the Cubs declined his option, um, I, I knew that this was either imminent or, you know, at some point it would be imminent. And I began to think, how would I want to end the John Lester podcast? How would I want to end the farewell edition to John Lester and, you know, the the final words of his time with the Chicago Cubs, you know, when we're not looking back in, in retrospect or hindsight or whatever. And the answer was actually a little simpler than I thought it would be. Um, I gave it a lot of thought and I practiced it a lot, as I often do for this podcast. And the answer was kind of staring me in the face a a little more than I thought it would be. Um, But I'm pretty happy with it. So normally, you guys know how we would end this podcast. So I'm going to do that now. Um, And I'm going to end this podcast. I'm going to go off the air with how I want to sign off on this podcast. So as always, we thank you guys for listening. Uh, appreciate your support of the Cubs Related Podcast. A lot of you have reached out, um, you know, checking on my well-being, so I appreciate that. Um, and as always, we end by saying go Cubs, but that's not where I'm going to end. Where I'm going to end is thinking about walking from my apartment in Lakeview over to Wrigley Field for a 120 game, sun shining, the music blasting, maybe Wayne Mesmer just finished the national anthem. And then you would hear the same song every time. And it was Gonna Know We Were Here by Jason Aldean. And I think the perfect way to end this is the chorus of this song. Because I think whether John picked this song, because I, I know he's a country fan, so whether he picked this song because it's his favorite song or whether he picked this song because of these lyrics and because of what it meant, I just think it sums everything up very nicely. So we're going to end with this. The lyrics for John Lester's song that he took the field to for six seasons as Chicago Cub go as follows. 
Ain't scared to ride this train, make a few marks, leave a few stains. Might slam just a little too hard, might take it just a little too far. Might burn out like a firework, like a shooting star across the sky. Yeah, we may not be around in 20 years, but they're sure going to know we were here. You're goddamn right they are, John Lester. Thank you for every minute.